Joe, you had a dream last night, didn't you? Weird one? I think you did. Yeah, it was pretty strange. What happened? So I dreamt that my neighbor's cat came over and, like, coughed up a hairball all over our kitchen floor. It was, like, the size of another cat. So I, I picked that up and threw it away, and then I ended up having sex with uh, Anne Hathaway. The Adam Crowley Show on ESPN Pittsburgh. Is it hour two already? Man, we're having fun. We get into so much hijinks. Ah, just a bunch of goofballs doing radio. Tom Foolery. Oh my. Shenanigans. Ben Roethlisberger makes me want to throw my head through a plate glass window. He was on with Crook and Phony earlier today, as he's one to do. Uh, why? Uh, I don't know. It's the middle of the off season. Oh, it must be to set a narrative. Because uh, that's what he does all the time. Every single Tuesday, Mike Tomlin's press conference is at noon, and Ben Roethlisberger does his show an hour beforehand. Why? To set the narrative. Peeps got to be thinking like Ben. Peeps can't be thinking like Tomlin. So here's what he said. I've got a transcript here. Uh, I would suggest you not listen to the audio. Quote, I told them when the season was over, I felt really good and was planning on coming back for three to five years. Exactly what I told you guys. So I was surprised when they took a quarterback because I thought that maybe in the third round, you know, you can get some really good football players that can help this team now. And nothing against Mason. I think he's a great football player. I don't know him personally, but I'm sure he's a great kid. I just don't know how backing up or being the third guy, who knows where he's going to fall in the depth chart, but helps us win now. That is a long-ass run-on sentence, Ben. Uh, But, quote, you know, that's not my decision to make. That's on the coaches and the GM and the owner and those kinds of things. So if they feel like he can help our team, so be it. But I was a little bit surprised, end quote. If there's a reason that we developed the butt bell, which has fallen off the face of the earth lately, and I'm happy that it has, it frees Tom up to do other things, it's for Ben Roethlisberger. Ben Roethlisberger just did the most sports radio cliched thing ever, Oh, well, you know, I was surprised they took a guy. I thought they'd take a great quarterback, but they are paid to make the decision, so I think it was a good move, but I was a little bit surprised by it. I mean, Ben, you're not fooling anyone here. We can see right through you. Uh, You're a thick dude, but I can still see right through you. He then went on to say, quote, Dobbs and Landry, those two guys are who I feel the worst for. I'll be honest, I wasn't worried about Rudolph taking my job. I feel confident that I can go out there and beat whoever I need to beat out for my job. That's just the kind of confidence I have myself. Yeah, I do feel bad for those guys because, you know, Landry, I don't know what's going to happen. I assume Landry's still the two. I don't really know, and Josh, same thing. Last year, you take him in the fourth round. So, does that mean the Steelers, like, screwed up in that pick? Like, do they think that he wasn't the one that they thought, or... Has he not developed the way that they thought? Why else would you take a quarterback in the third round the next year? End quote. Let me spell it out for you real easily, Ben. The reason that they took a quarterback last year, and the reason that they took a quarterback this year, is because just over a year ago, and try to follow me here, you said you might retire! Ben's like the little kid who does not want mommy to play with his hair. And then mommy plays with the sister's hair, and all of a sudden, oh, pet me, pet me, pet me. Hey, Ben, you are the guy. Nobody's disputing that. You've got a two-year contract right now. 
We all know that you're going to be taking snaps as they starter for the Pittsburgh Steelers this year. That is not in question. Now, coming into the draft, I actually agreed with you, and I thought there is no good reason for the Steelers not to draft a good football player in order to draft somebody who's only going to help in the future. But when I saw the value for Mason Rudolph, don't you be doing that, Tom, in the third round? I said, you go get that guy. You got a first-round grade on him. Let's make it happen. Not to mention, if you've got a first-round grade on the quarterback, that means you really think he can be a good player one day. And I don't know if anybody else has been paying attention based on the Capitals series and all the other stuff that's going around in Pittsburgh. But the quarterback in Atlanta, Matty Ice, a guy who's only won four playoff games in his career, got a $30 million a deal contract extension. So, Ben, being the astute football mind that you are, you said you were going to retire a year ago, perhaps. You've only got a two-year deal. You want to play three to five. Some dude just made $30 million. Let's use our brains here. Do they want to pay you $30 million at the back end of your career? Oh, hell no. Oh, hell no. They're going to milk everything they can get out of him for these next two. Because he is the franchise guy. But he's also a guy who's thought about retiring. He's a guy who has not been healthy for stretches throughout his career. This was the prudent thing for the Steelers to do. Now, the other layer here. The Steelers get criticized often for the distractions that are in this locker room. Mike Tomlin's looking ahead. The pundits and critics will say. Mike Mitchell's looking ahead. He talks too much. Antonio Brown's only focused on him. He talks too much. Le'Veon Bell, he talks too much. He's not showing up to training camp. Martavis Bryant wants to get traded. James Harrison, distraction. And it was week in, week out. Hey, I forgot about the anthem controversy. All year long, the Steelers were a soap opera. And a lot of players get criticized, but Ben Roethlisberger seems to be the guy who takes it on the chin the least. Now in the offseason, they bring in a guy who is perhaps going to be the future of the franchise at some point, and Ben Roethlisberger is going to be the distraction guy now. On a team that gets criticized for not staying in the here and the now and for focusing more on themselves than the team, Ben Roethlisberger sure does a hell of a lot of that himself. And the quarterback, no matter whether you agree with the sentiment or not, simply cannot be adding fuel to that fire. The quarterback, whether you think he's got a great point or not, needs to take the high road. And this quarterback, Ben Roethlisberger, he never does. 412-922-2874. Antonio's a distraction. Le'Veon's a distraction. James Harrison's a distraction. Mike Mitchell's a distraction. But the quarterback, I agree with. It doesn't matter whether you agree with him or not. A lot of people do think it was stupid for the Steelers to take Mason Rudolph. A lot of columnists in this town, radio folks in this town, think it was stupid. But it does not matter at this point. Ben Roethlisberger is paid to keep a lid on these kind of things. Win football games, that's job one, but he's also supposed to be the leader, and he's supposed to be the guy who pees on the fire, not pours gasoline right on it. We're going to hear from Steve Mears coming up in about... 12 minutes here on the Crowley Show. He, the voice of the Penguins on the TV side for AT&T Sports Network. The Penguins last night looked as close 
to the Penguins of the last two years as they have in the playoffs so far. Boy, did they lock that bitch down in the third period. They played a great defensive game. And for the majority of the playoffs, they're limiting chances. They're only giving up 25 shots a game. That's not a lot. In fact, as Bob Grove pointed out, it is the least out of any playoff team going right now. The chances that they had been giving up were quality AF. But what I saw in the third period makes me realize that this team is capable, if not willing, to play defense when it absolutely matters most. And if they're going to play that lockdown style the rest of this series and beyond, they're going to be a tough out again. They're going to have their momentary lapses. Teams score goals in the playoffs on you because the team that you're playing is pretty darn good. Washington's a good hockey club. But they've proven to me now that they know how to play defense. And it was the will to play defense. Hornquist blocked a shot in the third period. Oh, my God. Point blank range. Ouchie. Gensel blocked a shot in the third period. That's 1-2. That's also ouchie. Now, Washington did have some zone time that they accrued as the game wore on. But the Penguins kept the Capitals to the outside in that period. If you look at the shot chart, and I did because I'm a geek, you can see that everything that the Capitals launched towards the goal in the third was from the points from outside the slot. They weren't getting quality looks, and they only put three on the board in the third period. They had three chances in the final frame. And I did think that despite the long stretches at times where Washington had the puck in the Penguins' defensive zone, the Penguins did a good job of playing in the offensive zone. They tallied seven shots. They kept the pressure on Washington. They can play defense like that. They're going to be good. And now I know that they can because I've seen it. I've seen it with my own two eyes. I don't think there's anything better, though, than what we're seeing from one dude in particular. He's a little guy. He's 5'10". Just a little dude. But he plays bigger than he is. He's Jake Gensel. And I haven't had feelings like this for a hockey player. Since Sidney Crosby. Jake Gensel, I'm hooked on you, baby. I should not have worn sweatpants today. I'm all hot and bothered. Here are these numbers for Jake Gensel. I know your eyes are telling you everything you want to see. And my God, my eyes for Jake Gensel. They're popping out of my skull. The guy's got 21 points and 10 goals in 10 games during the playoffs. Think about this. Just to put it in context. I love putting things in context. You don't want to just look in the here and the now. Crosby had 27 points and 8 goals in 24 playoff games last year. That's only 6 more points than Gensel has already. And Crosby was the best player in the playoffs. He won the con Smythe. Crosby had 19 points and 6 goals in 24 games in 2016. And Gensel's outdoing him. I just need Jake Gensel in my veins. Hook me up to this guy. Ride that high. No NHL player in the last 30 years has posted as many as 20 points over his team's first 10 playoff games. Only seven men have done it in league history. 
His 23 postseason goals have come in 35 games. That's six. That's .657 per game. That's the third best in NHL history. And it equates to 53 goals over an 82-game season. He's being Ovechkin better than Ovechkin's being Ovechkin. And he's got at least a point in eight consecutive playoff games. Hasselhoff was capable of great things. Jake Gensel is the Hasselhoff of my playoff hockey heart. I'm hooked on a feeling. I'm high on Jake Gensel. Wilson's such a little bitch. He won't fight Jamie Alexiak. Meanwhile, Jake Gensel goes to the crease every damn time he's on the ice. Crosby's talked about it. We can talk all about the production, and my God, I'm hot and bothered based on the production. But it's a 200-foot game that Jake Gensel's playing right now that is just outstanding. He'll fight for a puck below the goal line, and he'll take it 200 feet the other way. He'll go to the blue paint. He's been an animal in that area. He's no Patrick Hornquist. Hornquist is a muscle hamster. Uh, Jake Gensel's my size. He ain't scared. And people say Tom Wilson's tough for running around. Uh, people say TJ Oshie's tough because, oh, finally, he took a piece out of Chris Letang. You know what toughness is to me? It's playing within the legal limits of the game. And it's going to the dirty areas. And it's not being scared of the guys who are bigger than you. Jake Gensel's got 21 points in 10 games this year, and Sidney Crosby had 19 and 24 when he won the Smythe two years ago. That is insane. Please excuse me when I go to the bathroom. That's not pee on the seat. What happened? Whoa. Coming up next, we hear from Steve Mears of AT&T Sports Network. He is the TV voice of the Penguins. He's done. He gets to just sit back and watch these games. He ain't got to do Jack. Except he's got to talk to me. Speaking of Jack, again, I got to go to the bathroom. No. What happened? Stop. It's a Crowley show. Jake and so I love you. You make me so hard. Whoa! And so. Oh, jeez. I didn't know that was out on the air. I mean, the guys get 21 points in 10 playoff game. Uh, the FCC might come down on me, but they should just let me be. NHL Player Safety Committee said, you're fine. I'm good. Yep. We are joined by a real broadcaster now, a professional broadcaster, Steve Mears. He, of course, from AT&T Sports Network, the TV voice of the Penguins. Steve, how are you today? I'm great. How are you doing? We're doing all right. Great job on the calls this year. How much fun did you have? Oh, thank you. It was it was incredibly fun. I mean, I just can't believe it flew by that quickly. I, I it feels like we had just started and we were doing preseason games and going to Detroit for the first time. And uh, well, I guess I, maybe because I hadn't traveled in quite a while regularly, maybe that's what makes it fly by so quickly. You have a week long road trip and it just 
it's so much fun, and uh, it's even more fun when it's such a first-class organization and a fun team to cover, and the fans are great, treated me really well, welcoming me back to Pittsburgh, and uh, and it was a great year. I just hope it uh, keeps on going. Even though we're no longer doing the games, you just hope that uh, – the team can continue this run, and if they play like they did last night, it's going to be uh, a very long run. We'll see you again. There he is being so professional. Steve, we'll get to the game last night in just a second. One guy I didn't hear you mention is Bob Airy, so I guess that means there's friction there. You don't like the guy. Uh, <laughs> and Dan Potas. I didn't mention That's true. either. We, none of us get along. We all hate each other. <laughs> and No, no. I mean, you couldn't have a better partner in Bob in the booth. And then uh, Dan is so fun to travel with and does a great job and has been a fixture for years. So uh, it was it was an incredible year. I just I had so much fun. I just I just love being able to do games again, which I really missed. Uh, even though I loved the old job at NHL Network, I, I really missed being at the arena and, and following the, a team over the course of the season and uh, all those aspects. Being there, uh, there's just a challenge of doing play by play in hockey, which is certainly not easy. And uh, and this, it's obviously a dream because it's my hometown team, my favorite team since I was a kid. So uh, very, very fortunate. And uh, it was quite a year, just a little bit of a slow start. But the, once the team got going there in, uh, in January or so, we started to see the true Pittsburgh Penguins and what this team's capable of. And uh, I think we've seen glimpses of it here in the playoffs so far. Yeah, and I think last night, for starters, they started to look like the team that won the Stanley Cup the last two years. They're not perfect, no question about that. But in the third period, I thought it was maybe the best period they've played in the playoffs so far, just the way that they were able to lock the Capitals down defensively, Steve. Exactly, yeah. that, that The whole game, I thought, was a classic Penguins shutdown playoff game that we have seen time and time again, especially when they needed it, when they've had to have a win. Basically, last night was a must-win situation, but they faced those before. I go back to last year and going to Ottawa. They had to win a game in Ottawa, and it was a very similar thing. It's a complete shutdown performance where they got everything, keeping the star players of the Capitals at bay, blocking shots, getting the saves from Matt Murray. We've seen it so often. And then grinding out a 2-1 win, scoring as ugly a goal as you could possibly get with a Vinnie Malkin. Uh, just jamming one in barely over the goal line. But that's how you have to score this time of year. That's how you score in the playoffs, and that's how you get game winners. So it was uh, it was one of those typical Mike Sullivan, Pittsburgh Penguins, grind-it-out, shut-down wins. And uh, Alex Ovechkin, no shots, no opportunities, really. It was all around a lot to like there. And the Penguins are going to need more of that because that's what wins at this time of year. I asked Bob Grove about it earlier on in the show, but let's stick with Ovechkin here. How much did Tom Wilson not being there contribute to his woes, do you think? Well, I would hope not. I mean, it's one of the greatest goal scorers <laughs> for his sake. For, I mean, yeah, I mean, and Tom Wilson is a former first-round pick. He, he's certainly not a goon as he's been portrayed over these last few days, uh, just as a guy who can't play and is, is only out there throwing headshots. I mean, the guy was a 16th overall pick and has put up some decent numbers this season and has been playing on their top line. So it's not like he's just a physical presence there. Uh, so, yeah, I'm sure he was missed, and especially with the energy that he brings. But we're talking about Alex Ovechkin, one of the great goal scorers in the history of the game. And I thought that was an inexcusable performance by Alex Ovechkin last night. When your team, and we've seen this so many times from the Capitals, right when they have a chance, when they have a chance, you think the door is open for them, these last few years in particular, you think they've got an opportunity to 
finally take the next step, to take a series by a stranglehold. Two years ago, Chris Letang gets suspended. So the Penguins were without their best defenseman, and the Caps are unable to get a win in Pittsburgh. Last year, Crosby was injured. Let's not forget about that. And what was the commentary after that game from their head coach? Our, we didn't get enough from our best players, and that was an opportunity. They had it, a great chance, and they lose a game when Crosby was out last year. And now, last night, they got a chance at a 3-1 series lead, and Alex Ovechkin, pretty much a no-show. And I love the way he's been playing in this playoff year. I think he's been really, really good, and he's got the numbers to back it up. I think he's been unbelievably physical like the rest of their team, especially against the Penguins in this series. He's been a force but he wasn't last night, and that's when they needed him to be a force. So that's kind of the problem with Washington. I would expect, though, you will have a much better effort in Game 5. Steve Mears joining us here on the Crowley Show. Uh, Steve, do you think there was anything different the Penguins did defensively against him yesterday? I know they didn't give up the odd man breaks to him the way that they had the first couple of games, but was there anything you saw that they did to lock him down? Yeah, it wasn't, I don't think it was just him specifically. The, the odd man breaks, that was a major problem going into the game. There's just too many of them. And even when the Penguins were up in the third period in game three, we saw oh. ill-timed pinches. And, and you can't give the, the Capitals and players who are better that skilled two-on-ones and three-on-twos, especially this time of year, especially late in hockey games. They're so opportunistic, the Capitals. And Kuznetsov and Ovechkin and Backstrom and Oshie, they will make you pay if you hand them these gift-wrapped opportunities, which the Penguins were doing at times in the first three games of the series. But they didn't last night. That was a big thing. But overall, it was just the, the entire defensive scheme with the, the shot blocking and uh, packing the house right in the slot area and protecting Matt Murray, limiting the shots on goal, being there for key shot blocks. And they're right up there in the playoffs uh, as far as shot blocking and uh, some you saw it last night with Hornquist and Gensel, back-to-back shot blocks, point blank, and that's how you win Stanley Cups. And they, these guys, they know that. And I do think they have the ability. It's a cliche that gets talked about all the time, but flip the switch and, and all the things that they weren't doing in the regular season. But I, we all knew they can just they can turn it on. They can get to that mode which they did last night, and uh, not every team could do that. I know the Blackhawks, we talked about them, they've struggled the last few years, and the talk is, can they flip the switch when it gets to the playoffs because they've been there before? It turns out they couldn't, but I think this Pittsburgh Penguins team can, that uh, whenever they have to win, whenever they have to lock it down, they can do it. I've said coming into the series and throughout the series that I think that the criticism thrown towards Braden Holpe has been a little too much. I don't think he's failed the way that Sergei Bobrovsky has against the Penguins in the playoffs. I always feel like he just doesn't make the one save he needs to make, and that is a problem. But I'm not surprised that he's been as good as he's been during this series. What do you think? No, no surprise. Uh, the numbers back it up with his performance. He's been one of the better goaltenders in the league the last few years. Uh, yeah, there hasn't been that timely one or two saves where you'd love for him, if you're a Caps fan, to steal a game or make that key save at a key moment. It just hasn't been there for him. But there isn't that much shame for the Caps the last two years of losing to the Penguins, the team that ultimately won both Stanley Cups the last two years. And if they were to lose this series, too, and let's say the Penguins go on another run to maybe a third straight cup or a cup final, then history is going to look back and say, you know what, the Washington Capitals, they were a pretty good team, but they just – kept running into the team that was the best team. So uh, and it's got to be so frustrating for fans in Washington. And, uh, of course, 
history is going to judge Ovechkin if he isn't able to win a Stanley Cup, certainly if he's not able to get out of the second round, which he has yet to do in his career. But I, I don't think there's all that much shame in, in losing to a team that's, uh, that's had this much success like the Penguins. And, and for Braden Holpe, it was a, a bounce, uh, kind of a bounce here and there. There was also, at the end of the regular season, just that he actually did really struggle. If Philip Grubauer took over, he kind of became the number one goaltender, and he was the guy at the start of the playoffs. And now Braden Holpe has emerged as uh, back, reemerged as the number one goaltender for Washington. And I think maybe that little break could help Holpe because he's played a lot of hockey the last few years. Kessel and Haglin have not been good uh, in, uh, pardon me, not Haglin, uh, Broussard, uh, have not been good uh, in this playoffs uh, so far. Uh, Haglin, of course, or I keep saying Haglin, Broussard uh, obviously trying to transition from Ottawa, uh, but he has been a big-time playoff performer. Phil Kessel obviously been a big-time playoff performer the last couple of years for the Penguins. Uh, it looks like he's hurt, but putting all that aside, uh, which one of those two do you think has been a bigger disappointment through this point? Uh, I guess by the standard that we've seen all season from Kessel to not produce at this time of year. And also, like you said, what he's done in his career in the playoffs, I guess you'd have to say it's Kessel, but uh, you also have the caveat, and I do agree with you, I, I don't, don't think Phil Kessel's at 100%, and there's pretty good evidence that he's not. If you go back to the end of the regular season, he missed several practices. I wonder if he didn't have the Ironman streak, would he have even missed games at the end of the regular season? He had a couple of instances where he went down hard. I remember a game in Florida and a game in Carolina, and he missed some time there within the game. Uh, so it, it, that's part of playoff hockey, though, and trying to fight through all of that. It's just tough when it's uh, one of your most consistent players, the guy who arguably was the most consistent Penguin from the start yeah. of training camp, day one, all the way through the regular season, he might have been the most consistent player on the team and uh, had a career year, but it's just it's not there for him. Clearly, he's not at 100%. So uh, I guess that's disappointing, but you just hope that he's able to fight through and uh, maybe get some points if he did get a point on the power play last night and maybe able to chip in a little bit here and there with uh, some offense. But, uh, hey, he had that one rush down the right side, and in his spot, you know, that right wing, and he loves to snap it, I'm saying, just fire away when he had that look. And he didn't miss by much, so I thought that was a pretty encouraging sign for Kessel. Yeah, I agree with that. Uh, last couple of things here for Steve. Uh, do you have a feel, uh, one way or another, uh, for the rest of the series here? It is now that best of three, uh, the cliche says. Uh, it's been so even. Uh, Caps have scored 11 goals, Penguins 10. Uh, Capitals have outshot them by five over the course uh, of these four games. They're so evenly matched. Do you lean one way or another in terms of a prediction? I, I'm, I'm feeling good. I'm feeling good on the Penguin side. Maybe it's the history. Maybe it's the fact that when you add up all the periods and you, you look at the hockey that's been played between these two teams and you say after a period which one's the better team more times than not it's been the penguins you know there there are a few moments there you go even go back to game three if murray makes the save on the third goal if malkin doesn't hit the post maybe extends the lead and it's four two i mean there are a lot of cases where it's that close for pittsburgh to really bust this thing open but i was most encouraged by the defensive scheme and what they were able to do to shut down the caps last night. And, and the other thing is uh, two of these three remaining games, if necessary, are going to be in Washington. And I think the Capitals are better on the road. I think at home, all the angst and the frustration, especially when they get behind, 
then that becomes a problem for Washington because everybody in that building wearing red knows the history and gets frustrated easily, and there's no doubt the players feel that tension. So I, I think Washington is a better road team, and it's good that the Penguins are going to D.C. Uh, the one area, though, is the start for the Penguins. And, and at the beginning of the series, the starts were terrible. I think their starts all season have not been very good. So they've got to be ready to play. You cannot give up odd man rush in the first 20 seconds of a hockey game and fall behind early. That was a problem in both games in Washington. So I'm going to be watching out for the start in game number five. And if the Penguins can solve that and play like they did at the start of game number four, I think they're going to be okay. Steve, really good stuff, man. Appreciate you taking the time coming on and enjoy yourself uh, being away from Arian Potash because I know you hate him so much. Ah, yeah, that's right. Hopefully they're not tuned in. But, uh, yeah, thanks for having me. Really appreciate it. It's been a fun year. Let's keep it going. Yes, sir. Thanks again. Thanks a lot. Steve Mears, AT&T Sportsnet. Didn't hear him say anything about Stan either. Uh, great work with Stan. Didn't hear it. Come on, Mearsy. Just so much vitriol towards his co-workers. A really unprofessional stuff there. Coming up next. Thank you, Steve. I think desperation was necessary for the Penguins to thrive. I don't think you can manufacture desperation. And now they don't have to. It's the Crowley Show. I put this up on Twitter.com at underscore Adam Crowley. Do you think Sidney Crosby wakes up every day and thanks God that he gets to play with the greatest player of all time, Jake Gensel? And 100% of the people who have responded say yes. That has never happened before in the history of the Crowley Show. 100% of the people say yes. Sidney Crosby's lucky to play with Jake Gensel, not the other way around. I've never seen anything like this before. And as Bob Grove said, it's tough to compare eras and production that way. But 21 points and 10 goals in 10 games. My God! Six, five, seven, hundredths of a goal per game is third in NHL history. He'll cool down at some point, hopefully after the Penguins have eliminated the Capitals, right? Last couple of things here on Ben Roethlisberger. He hasn't even reached out to Mason Rudolph. I think he's a great guy. Well, you should probably know by now, at least to an extent, whether or not he's a guy you can have a conversation with. And I'd imagine that Ben Roethlisberger not knowing is because Ben Roethlisberger has not reached out and talked to him. That's unacceptable. That's not what a leader does. James Conner talked last year about how Le'Veon Bell was great with him. All the young receivers that play with Antonio Brown, they rave about what he brings to the table from that standpoint. And yet Ben Roethlisberger is not going to help a young man from Oklahoma walking through the door? F that. That is a terrible mindset. It's a terrible way to be a leader. You're not a leader of a football team just because you want to have the biggest effect on whether or not your team wins wins and loses. You have to be a leader on the football team to create the positive environment that then helps you with the wins and losses. And it ain't happening with Ben Roethlisberger. And I just can't wrap it around my skull. 
I just can't understand why he'd act like this unless he's a petulant child. And I guess we found our answer. Uh, he's acting like a petulant child. Ben Roethlisberger has the gall to say on the Crook and Phony show that he is going to retire or thinking about retiring. And then the next year is all pissy with the fact that the Steelers draft a quarterback. Uh, screw that. F that. It's nonsense. Drives me up a wall. Oh, Antonio Brown's the distraction. Oh, Le'Veon Bell's the distraction. Oh, it's James Harrison. It's Martavis Bryant. It's the anthem protest. Leadership is the problem if you think that there's a bunch of distractions going on. And nobody's supposed to be a bigger leader than the guy who's under center. And he's not. Bad leader. Not peeing on the flames. He's dumping gasoline right on him. 412-922-2874. We saw something in the Penguins last night that I talked about prior to the game yesterday. They play their best when their back's against the wall. And when you've won the championship in back-to-back seasons, when you've hoisted Lord Stanley's Cup, you might not have the same sense of urgency in the third year. You might think, ah, we show up. We're going to beat you because I don't remember us losing a playoff series. Hell, Mike Sullivan's never lost one. 9-0 and now as a head coach in playoff series with these Pittsburgh Penguins. They think they're going to win. And that's great. You want to have that expectation. But just showing up's not going to get the job done. You need to be desperate like the other team's desperate. And I think for the first three games of the series, for stretches, Washington looked like the team that had something to prove. And Pittsburgh, at times, looked like the team that thought, oh, we're just going to win. And that's why you give up a 2-on-1 with a minute left in Game 3. That's why you give up a 2-on-1 17 seconds in Game 1. That's why you allow Alexander Ovechkin to score a minute and a half into Game Number 2. You don't have that sense of urgency. You don't have that desperation until you absolutely need that desperation and sense of urgency. And we've seen the Penguins play their absolute best in these playoffs when their backs have been firmly pressed up against that wall. Think about it. It's game six against Philadelphia. You're down four to two on the road, and then they say, oh, let's play. And the greatest hockey player of all time, Jake Gensel, scores four goals in a row. Think about this series. Game one, they're down two nothing, and then they finally start to play three goals. In game two, they're down. They get a goal. It's three to one. They force the issue, and they score a goal. Patrick Hornquist, they took it off the board. I'll still count it as a goal. But they put their push on at that point because they were desperate, because they needed to, because they were behind. And the same thing happened yesterday, and I think we saw the most desperate Penguins team, the most focused Penguins team that we've seen over the course of the playoffs thus far. Malkin dove to score a goal. He went all Bobby Orr. He's parallel. Forget parallax, it's parallel this time, and he smacks the puck into the back of the goal. Well, not quite the back, but close enough to the back that they'll actually count it this time. Jake Gensel blocked a shot. Patrick Hornquist blocked a shot. Matt Murray remained in the game despite taking a shot up high. The Penguins busted their ass yesterday. And it didn't have to be manufactured. It was real. It was visceral. That was their reaction in the moment. And you can talk all you want about fast starts. You can talk all you want about having to match the other team's will to win. But until you need to do it, until you're in that moment, until you need to pull yourself up 
from your skate laces, you're not going to be able to recreate it. They were down in the series, and they played like it. Now they're even, and you got you got to go on the road for maybe two games. And I think that the Penguins are going to be a hockey team that's going to play like their hair on fire from this point forward because they know that they only have to win two more games to get to the Eastern Conference Final. What happened there, Tom? Tom just got sucked what? into a phone call for the last two minutes. You all right? What happened? Yeah, it's fine. Just talking to some guy, Steve from Phoenix. Yeah. Steve didn't want to go on the air because you switched to Penguin Talk, but he's, he agrees Ben's a child. Ben's a child? He's aging like Benjamin Button. Benjamin Button Roethlisberger. Trademark that. Tom, put that in the note. We're going to trademark that one. Benjamin Button Roethlisberger. The older he gets, the more like a baby he becomes. Is that what happened to Benjamin Button? He aged backwards, right? I think so. Yeah, that's spot on. Yeah. That's a damn good analogy by me. And if you want to use that moving forward, you'll have to pay me royalties. Anytime you use it, trademark Crowley. Penguins ain't going to be afraid to go on the road either. The Capitals have to hang their hat on the fact that if they're going to win this series, they have a possible two games left at Capital One Arena. But these Penguins ain't scared. They ain't scared. They ain't afraid of the dark. They got a flashlight. That's lame. They won game six in San Jose two years ago. They won game six in Nashville last year. And no disrespect to this Washington Capitals hockey club, but those teams were far better. Last year, they they won games one, two, and seven in Washington. So it's not like they're afraid to go into that arena either. 2009, they go in there winning game seven. And they won there in game five. Now, the cores are different. Not so much from the last two years, although there are moving pieces, but from that 09 team. But the principal parts, the key players are still there. Chris Letang, Sidney Crosby, Evgeny Malkin. You get that. Penguins won game four on the road in Ottawa last year to avoid going down 3-1. to one. Desperation was a factor there, but they weren't afraid to go into Ottawa. The Penguins were 3-0 and against the Flyers in Philadelphia. They'll throw things at you. They'll throw beer cans at you. They'll throw their children. Oh, no, those are rats. They'll throw rats at you. Eh, same thing. Penguins already won this year, game one in Washington, coming from behind. They were a bad road team during the regular season, these Penguins were. But as Steve Mears said in the last segment, they're able to flip the switch. And they're able to put all that behind them. And it's that. It's also a little bit more than that. Everything changes when the playoffs come around because road trips are different. If you're going out on the West, you're going to have to hit San Jose. You're going to have to hit Anaheim. You're going to have to hit Winnipeg. You're out there forever. Your body has to adjust. You're traveling city to city. Even if you're on the East Coast, you're going to New York, you're going to Washington, you're going to Philadelphia, you're going to have to travel down to Raleigh, you're going to have to go down to Florida. These road trips can become long, pronounced, and awful. And you're probably going to have a little bit of fun when you're out there, too. Evgeny Malkin's going to get a sunburn on the beach. Carl Hagelin's going to shotgun a few beers. Jake Gensel's going to impregnate every woman in the city. It's going to happen when you go out on the road. But when it's a playoff series, you go to Washington, and you're there for four days. Penguins travel out. They'll play a game. They'll hang out there. They good. Now, in this case, you got a day off between the games. You don't have to go out to Washington twice in quick succession. That's what you have to do at the beginning of the series. Now you play in Pittsburgh. You win that game. You have a day off. You practice. 
Go up Cranberry. Hang out. And then you go to Washington. It's a very quick flight. It's just different. It's not the same. Washington's got home ice. But I don't think it's going to be the difference in this series. And I think Washington plays better on the road than they do at home. They were 4-0 coming into this game. 5-0, in fact, on the road going into game number four here in Pittsburgh. Capital One Arena still has ghosts of Horizon Center past. It's a tough barn to play in for them. They'll get behind you. They'll rock that red. But if Patrick Hornquist's goal counts in game number two, all them butts are puckered, right? When the Penguins came back to tie it in game number one, all them butts were puckered. Just like Philadelphia. In Philly, they'll throw stuff at their team. They'll boo Claude Giroux. They'll get after their power play. They'll let you know that they're not happy. It's not quite like that in Washington. But what you will find is that they'll get quiet in a hurry, and that tension can get cut with a damn knife. Coming up next, Matt Geica has written a lot about this series from PittsburghHockeyNow.com. Uh, he'll join me at about 6.05, 6.06. He thinks the Capitals are coming apart at the seams. I agree with that. It's a Crowley Show.